This weekly podcast inspires you to step outside of your comfort zone. My name is Zakir Muhammad, and I'm your host of the Living Legacy Podcast. I am a cancer survivor, brand cultivator strategist, author, and world traveler. This Living Legacy Podcast features women of purpose sharing stories of resilience. They are single and married. They are artists and entrepreneurs who run businesses and juggle parenthood. If you are ready to hear interviews about professionalism, entrepreneurship, travel, life, and love, you are in the right place. They will share stories of how they overcame adversity while seeing life through a different lens. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of the Living Legacy Podcast. Today's episode is all about retinoblastoma. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and my cancer is retinoblastoma, which is cancer of the eye. And the survival rate is between ages zero and five years old. On average, technology has been improving so that uh, there are more adult survivors, but because it's so rare, it's a rare opportunity to do so. And so growing up, I did not know many people that look like me that had the exact same cancer as me. And it was always just been my internal search to find that type of community. And thanks to the power of Facebook, we're able to have that conversation today. Um, Abby, of Abby Vision Online. She is a retinoblastoma survivor, also a millennial, as well as a lifestyle blogger. So that's video blogger. And she's a great storyteller who is comfortable with being a source of empowerment and hope and encouragement in a world that is so used to resisting the powers of inclusion and diversity. And on her YouTube channel, she brings light to retinoblastoma, her experiences, how parents of retinoblastoma survivors can also learn and be able to detect and save a life. And also she's a hair blogger. So she loves all things natural hair and all things lifestyle, but she's also based in London, England, UK. So she's of African descent. We'll talk about that. And this is going to be a great conversation about the, the hard stuff, the hard stuff that most people don't know about. One, about our cancer. Two, about um, lifestyle, how life has been when you're the only one, and what you can do to educate yourself. So, hi, Abby. How are you today? Thank you so much for being on the Living Legacy podcast. Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel privileged. It's an honor. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a privilege and honor. I mean, I'm glad that we're able to have this conversation live and in the flesh and recorded because. Tomorrow is not promised, and it's definitely not promised for us, right? It's like exactly survival rate is just so low that it's like a unicorn when we see someone else like us. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so go ahead and um, introduce yourself for the people who have never seen you before um, mm-hmm. and, and are looking at you like, who is this beautiful girl and why are we having a conversation today? <laughs> Hi, so I my name's Abby. I'm actually Nigerian, so my full name is Abiola, um, but I go by Abby. Um, I am a life hair and lifestyle vlogger. When I decided to, I have a passion for creativity, for art. So that was the background to me. I wanted to be on YouTube. I wanted to share hair tips, hair ideas, you know, fashion. I'm not very fashionable, let's be honest. But I did want to share stuff about myself. But I was very uncomfortable, and I felt very um, 
I wouldn't say ashamed, but I felt very shy to be myself because I knew my history and I knew that maybe not everyone would accept. But anyway, I plowed through. I thought I'm going to create this channel. But what I did was I didn't really promote it because I was like, if not a lot of people see this, then it's OK. I'm still in my safe bubble. Um, and something just changed in me last year. And I decided that I was going to share my story. Um, and that's kind of where I began this rectinoblastoma journey of being honest and truthful so yes that's why I kind of say my channel isn't just about hair it's lifestyle as well because I've decided to break out of you know hiding away and um, being true to me and also kind of trying to reach out to other people like me who probably don't know there's others like like us um and trying to make people feel comfortable in their own skin I think one thing I've learned from this whole journey that I've started taking since last year is a lot of people do not feel comfortable in their own skin because of what this illness cancer has done to them. Um, so that that's a little bit about me. Perfect, yeah. And I'm so glad that you are uh, walking your purpose and sharing your story and, and, and stepping outside of your comfort zone. I think that's the biggest thing that um, I live by also. People tend to look to me in the sense of, um, how are you so fearless? How are you so happy? And I'm just like, I have, um, even though there aren't many people who look like me, literally, I have been around, blessed to be around a community of other uh, childhood cancer survivors. And we know that life is super, super short. So mm-hmm. it's just so ironic and a perfect timing in a sense that we can have this conversation because there are people who have unfortunately uh, lost a lot of their family members in this time. Um, but then there's also who are those cancer survivors who have been fighting um, battles. So September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and I feel like we're going to do all that we can to um, educate and empower and encourage today mm-hmm. in a conversation. So I guess I'll start off with um, my story, and then you tell me your story, and then we'll let the listener kind of be like, oh, look at that. So, <laughs> Um, I have a book out called Seeing Life Through a Different Lens. It's a survivor's memoir on overcoming adversity with resilience. My mom and I wrote the book together as uh, it was a photograph that detected my cancer. My mom took a photo of me when I was a newborn baby. And just like most moms, they would take photographs of the baby. But she saw it not once, but twice. This white glow that was in my eye when I was about three to six months old. And then... By the time she was able to take me to a um, doctor, who a pediatrician, the first initial checkup, um, that the doctor said, "Oh, there's nothing wrong. You're just, you know, a, a new mom who's worried." And you know, she'd never seen that before. This is before uh, instant smartphone. This is before uh, you know immediate photos, but photos where you can print it on the dot. You had to literally go wait a week for the photograph to be printed. So there were very few errors back then. So she knew something was wrong and it took her very being very persistent in the sense of um, what needs to happen because this is some, something not right. And so uh, it was literally a photograph that detected the cancer in my eye and saved my life. And it's just ironic that 20 plus years later, I'm actually a professional photographer. So I capture the essence of humanity. And I've just been blessed to grow up um, not being uh, limited, not feeling limited to who I can be, what I can do. And it stayed with me in a sense of now I'm comfortable enough. This book actually had been the healing pocket for the both of us, where we're both comfortable enough with sharing our story 
and encouraging others to one, educate about retina blastoma, which is a rare childhood eye cancer, and two, just healing, understanding how we've survived thus far and the power of prayer. So what about you? How did um, your parents detect your cancer? I think similar as well to you. Um, it's interesting you, you you know, say camera saved your life because I've, I'd never thought about it like that. Um, but it's true. It's it's absolutely true. Um, and one of the ways of actually detecting rectinoblastoma is through pictures. Um, but mine was a little bit different. Um, yes, I did take pictures. And yes, my parents did think, oh, that's weird, because everyone else would have a red eye. And I would have a whitey, creamy, not a red eye. Um, and But they they didn't really pay too much attention to it. They They knew nothing about rectinoblastoma, you know, babies having cancer. That was just not heard of so they never thought anything of it um but one thing that they did start notice noticing was I would be crying at night so at, at this point I was maybe age one yeah I was probably about one and I would just cry all night and um when I would open my eyes at night it was like a glow in the dark eye it wasn't it didn't look normal it looked um like a hazily creamy light color um so some they had a friend who came by and I'll get to the friend in a second, they had a friend who saw them and said, something's not quite right. You should get her checked out because the person saw me at night and thought that that doesn't look right. Her eyes are brown normally. Why do they look a different color? So my parents went and that's how they discovered that I had retinoblastoma. But speaking about the guy um, that actually told my parents to go, funnily enough, he's just had a baby girl and she has retinoblastoma. Um, the weirdest thing, and my my mom was saying to me that if he was doing something evil, you know, he wouldn't have got that child as well. Like he was only trying to help, and because of his kindness, that's why the child. I don't know if that's true, but that's why the ch child was directed to him because he would be able to pick up the signs earlier on. And lo and behold, we lost touch with them. I have I had never heard of them to be honest. Um, and they saw one of my videos um a few weeks back. And um, his wife saw the video and he, she told her husband and the husband went, I think that's my friend's daughter. And she was like, really? And, and that's how we got back in touch. So anyway, long story short, um, a, a camera did, you know, pick it up. But my parents had no clue. And I think there's a lot of parents who will also see that on a camera, but will not be able to identify that there's an issue. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what's so important about making sure that we uh, implement that the importance of when you do see something that's not right be proactive do something about it um if it wasn't for our parents and our parents circle doing that we would not be having this conversation with you we'd not be having a conversation with each other so typically um the most common symptom that's recognized is a white or like you say creamy anything that doesn't look used to a red dot if you you know happen to have too much blood in the eye if you don't see a red dot in the photograph or if you don't see um if you see anything if like that looks white basically that's the first thing to check it out and second thing is most children tend to have um lazy eyes it, in it looks what looks like a lazy eye and most of the time that's the nerves in the eye that are already being affected and that's very important as well yeah i think also if your child is it might not be retinoplastoma, it could be anything else, but if your child is profusely crying all the time, which was what my mom said, and apparently, you know, it was because I was in pain all the time, 
So if, you know, your child is always crying, don't just assume it's colic or, you know, any, you know, whatever else, just go and get it checked out. Exactly. There's so many rare childhood eye cancers um, out there right now. So the best resource that I can give you is American Cancer Society. Um, American Cancer Society for the U.S. It's a, a national website that's actually doing really well with highlighting uh, retinoblastoma. Um, what are some resources out there where you are? Um, to be very honest, it's quite limited. We are, it's, I wouldn't say we're in the dark ages because we have an amazing hospital called Moorfields High Hospital, which caters just to eyes and it's known worldwide and you know people come from different countries just to be able to go to the hospital um so i would say our best resource um is the leaflets you see when you go to the gp well we call it gp the doctors when you go to the doctors the leaflets you see but um there is a charity i've actually found on facebook called we see hope i don't know if you've heard of them um but they do a lot of work um, in England um, for people who either have, you know, family members who have had retinoblastoma or, you know, parents who have a child with retinoblastoma. I think there is still a lot of work to do in England to raise that awareness. I mean, I go to the hospitals regularly, so I do see posters and signs. But if you're not going to the hospitals regularly, who is telling you something's not right? Um, and, I, and I think, you know, we do have a lot more work to do on that front. Absolutely. Technology is improving every day um, in the sense that even now, if either one of us as women were to uh, be blessed to carry a baby, we can get that baby checked out uh, in utero, you know, while the baby's still inside. We know, we already know by default because we have that cancer and, it's, and it is genetic, unfortunately, uh, well, it's still bi- um, bilateral, it's genetic. So, uh, there's a way to check to see if our child will inherit that gene because by default it's a 50-50 chance. So technology is improving in that way and it also in the sense of less invasive surgeries and less invasive um, checkups because uh, you probably attest to this of how bright those lights are when they're trying to see, make sure that nothing is coming back or see what their status um, is. When I was, I think when I was about 16, also, I saw a girl who had retinoblastoma, but she did not have an inoculation. And honestly, I was happy for her, but I was blubbering. I was like, why wasn't that me? Like it would, it was, so what does she have instead? She had retinoblastoma, but the technology was so good that they didn't have to remove her eye, her vision was fine. You know, she was perfect. It was like it never happened. And when I saw that, Obviously, the first instinct should have been so happy for her, which I was. But I was just like, darn it, why wasn't I born in an age where they had all this technology? Because my story may be different, you know. Um, so technology has come a long way. I will say that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like this is a great segue into talking about what life was like for us growing up. So I would definitely say that um, I've talked about it in the book, that I have had plenty of experiences of being bullied. Um, I normally wear glasses i wear glasses i protective lenses so uh, it's a blessing that i see 2020 in my seeing eye so um i wear glasses for protective reasons but because most people did not know that because i've been blessed to have such a good doctor most people just assume that i just had a lazy eye so what i would do instead of being used to being bullied i would just kind of have a little humor in it so my mom has a story of 
um, one day I just literally, if the prosthesis, the glass eye, the fake eye would bother me, I just pop it right out and just be like, here, take this. I don't want it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. <laughs> and imagine, think of it as, as um, you know, one of those movie characters where, yeah, you know, the movie character with one eye and, and by default. Um, so it, it's kind of scary, but if you think back at it, uh, us, we can laugh at it because we're like, I know exactly. As you're speaking, I'm seeing that you have full movement in your eyelids. I don't have that. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we'll go into that in a second. But because the um, ocularis that I had, he had been fitting my eyes since I was a child. So every year, obviously, I was growing very fast between the ages of like zero to 18. Um, so every every uh, year or sometimes twice a year, I would have a perfectly fitted um, eye. And because it's so custom to my eye socket, because also, you know, for those who are, who are watching, because um, you can watch it on YouTube if you are listening, definitely watch it on YouTube on uh, Look for Dakir Muhammad on YouTube if you want to watch uh, what we're talking about. But basically because it would come uh, perfectly fitted to the um, socket of the eye, like where the eye still can actually move, even though there's no actual eyeball back there. Um, I think that's why uh, occasionally it can move because it's perfectly adjusted. So I know you said you're gonna when you when you go back to your doctor, it's just a matter of making sure that you have that doctor. I, I think it's a little bit different because um, they do custom make it, but it, the movement is just rarely there. I think it might be something to do with the muscle or the nerve or maybe something was, you know, severed. I don't know. But, yeah, like, I envy the movement you have. <laughs> but, hey, I mean, I I don't because I know that there are people who um, – I, I think because I've been around people who have completely lost their vision and most people get confused by that. They're like, your eyes are moving, but you can't see me? How is that? You know, more people just don't understand what it's like to be completely blind. So um, in a way, that's also been one of my insecurities growing up of, you know, people thought I had a lazy eye, but I, if I was not comfortable enough to tell them that this is actually a prosthetic eye, it's not a real eye. So they're like, whoa. Imagine not having a blinking eye. Imagine them, like, even more stares, because they're like, what's wrong with you, you know? popular question a million dollar question so let's let's answer that but I, i'm sure there are some people who will be watching and still answering so what is wrong with us first of all i say nothing <laughs> what would you say i agree i i mean okay i, I tell a lie I, up until last year i did not agree i did think look there's something wrong with you you're not normal you're not like all the other kids you need to something needs to get sorted um but the older i've gotten the more i've seen that it is superficial. Um, whether I have an eye, two eyes, no eye, it, it does not have anything to do with me being a human being, me being a person. Um, but that's easier said than done. You know, when you're getting bullied and picked on and people are staring at you and people are laughing at you and you don't feel like you get equal opportunities, it's harder to say there's nothing wrong with me. Do you understand what I mean? Oh, I completely understand. Yeah, it's, it's something that um, I even dealt with all my life growing up. Of um, most, But I dealt with it so much that also me too, when I was working, you know, part-time or nine-to-five jobs, even though HR would know because I have to put it, do you have any disability? Do you have cancer? Do you have any medical history that we need to know about? Yes, I would write it down. 
But when it comes to interacting with my own coworkers, I would normally just keep quiet, let them gossip, let them keep quiet, or let them talk about it. But then I, as I grew more comfortable in my own skin, then I started to really educate. Uh, actually, I am actually one of them um, because I am a woman of faith. So I'm actually one of God's uh, closest angels because, you know, he's chosen these battles specifically for me to deal with and be specifically for me to survive. Because also growing up, I would wonder why I have experienced um, once I did get the blessing of meeting other retina black summer survivors and they did not survive. Like I knew them one summer and then the next summer they were gone. Yeah. Then that, you know, was my first taste of, of death outside of being told in myself that I could die any day. So experiencing that also is, is like, I have a purpose on this earth beyond what I can comprehend. At least, you know, when I was in high school that I'm like, I'm not even worried about the haters anymore, really. So if I'm in that mindset where I am comparing myself, I listen to my favorite songs. You know, I have a few songs that, you know, just talk about, you know, forget them haters, you know, let them haters hate, you know, let's figure that to us. So, yeah. Where you are now, like what, how you feel also of how, how you overcame that and where you are now. Okay, that's a that's a very good question. Like I was saying to you earlier, um, I had surgery at the start of this year to change my orbital implant. And I have been so self-conscious, but to actually think that I've spent almost a whole year without the correct prosthesis and I am fine is a testament to me. I'm proud of myself. I did it. I, I wouldn't have been able to do it um, last year or the year before. And the truth be told, I was depressed at the start of this year. I was miserable. I would call the hospital crying and they would say, sorry, we're closed, you know, because of Corona, you can't come in. And I would blubber and I was miserable, but, um, testament to God, um, a few months later, I am confident enough to come on a podcast or to come, you know, on camera, you know, it took me a, a while to get back on my YouTube channel because I just didn't want to be seen. Um, so it is hard. I, there's no easy way to say it. There are days where I wake up and I'm miserable and I think, why me? And then there are days where I wake up and I'm grateful for life and I'm grateful for breath. And I think that's just part of being human. It, for me, I don't think it ever gets easier, but what does change is how my perspective, uh, perspective of the situation, how I choose to handle it. If I choose to wake up miserable in the day, yes, I will be miserable for the rest of the day. But if I choose to accept my faith and get up and rock with it, then so be it also. So I think it's definitely sugarcoating it if I sit here and say, oh, I'm confident and, you know, everything's rosy and everything's amazing. I don't think I will ever get to that stage where I'm completely confident in myself. Um, and we'll talk about parenting later, but that goes back to upbringing and how each of us are raised. I don't think I will ever feel completely normal or completely comfortable in my own skin, unfortunately. Um, but as I said, it's how I choose to tackle the day that matters. And it's by being proactive and it's, you know, reaching out and doing this podcast that makes the day not feel so bad. If I don't know if that okay. makes sense, but okay. yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I definitely agree. It's like the more you put yourself out there, the more you talk about your story. I feel like for me, 
uh, my mom actually told me that right before the book was published, she's like, you know that you're basically about to be the unofficial advocate for Retina Blastoma. And yeah. we had to take a breath, like, that means I got to tell my story a bit more. But I'm like, yeah. okay, do it. <laughs> so it's been a confidence. You're, you're giving us confidence and telling us there's other people like us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, and also continuing to educate those who aren't aware of the cancer. Like, they may have seen it. They may have, uh, they think they heard about it because there is, um, luckily, there are some news coverage, especially in the state. Um, in the U.S., there are a few uh, hospitals, a- areas in the states where there are hospitals that uh, have good press coverage and they're able to get local news to cover the people who are about to go into treatment or just survive and came out of the treatment. And even unfortunately, if they were blessed to have treatment but did not survive the treatment, at least when they have those press releases, the education is out there about specifically retinoblastoma for us because that's that's what we are. That's yeah. So we both have a lot of red about someone. So that's what this conversation specifically is about. But please continue to do your research on the cancer. And I want to take a brief uh, pause and just say that this episode is sponsored by Libsyn. It is a hosting website for you to be able to have your own podcast. So you definitely need to be able to make sure that your story needs to be told. Visit. Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use promo code LEGACY to get 45 days free of hosting. Visit L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use promo code LEGACY for 45 days free and make sure you tell your own story. Yes, so um, coming back to the podcast, I feel like this is a great segue to talk about what it is like to deal with those um, levels of discrimination, right? I feel like this is, uh, for us specifically, this is something we have actually experienced. And I've actually seen it recently even more that there's something that's, that's done differently because of the color of our skin. You would mind talking about your skin? I would say England is very different. Um, <laughs> England is different from America. Um, I couldn't sit here and say I have experienced the same sort of racism or the same sort of discrimination because I know that. America is a whole pot of stew that I don't even I don't even know how you guys deal with it. But without going too much yep. into race, um, we don't. <laughs> without going too much into race and you know trying to keep it um rounded, um I would say in general as a woman we are disadvantaged. Full stop. Whatever color you are, you are going to be disadvantaged against men. So I not only just have the disadvantage of being a woman, but then I have been black on top of it. And then I have been looking a bit funny, have rect- having rectinoblastoma. So like three layers of inequality. But one thing I will say is things were definitely a lot more difficult and harder when I was growing up. As an adult, I feel like I can hold myself better. I can hide my disadvantage I could put my, you know, I could do my hair in a way where you don't really notice, or I can do makeup in a way that you will not really tell what's wrong with me. So I would say as an adult, I do not believe categorically that having suffered rectinoblastoma, I do not believe it affects where I can get to in life. 
I don't believe it affects the jobs I, I can I can obtain. Um, I believe that my skills, my knowledge, my experience speaks for itself. But I would definitely say growing up, I wasn't just disadvantaged by the kids or the um, the children my age, but you'd be surprised how horrible adults can be as well. Um, just because you don't look like the other kids, even teach school teachers, you know, they will disadvantage you. They will make you feel different from others. You know, you will go to your friend's house and their parents will treat you differently. Um, so I, I think there's more to be said about adults and how they compose themselves and how they treat children. Um, but as an adult, I am lippy. And if you come for me, I will give you a piece of my mind. And I will, I'm not ashamed to do that because I don't care what you think or what you think I look like. It doesn't give you the right to speak to me as any less than a human being. As long as you treat me as a human being, we're good. When it when you stop treating me like a human being because of the way I look, that's when we have an issue. And I am not a very confident person, but when you attack me, I I do feel the right to defend myself. But I would say I, I cannot attest to what you have to go through in America in terms of, you know, racism, discrimination, we have a lot of laws in place that actually are more favorable to someone with a disability or with someone with an ailment um, than actual normal people. I say, you know, testament to England, we do cover a lot of um, equal rights and making sure people do not feel discriminated against, especially in the workplace. Yes, um, and I definitely want to say I agree with a lot of what you said because really it is universal, the struggles are universal. But it's just very different in the sense of, again, our cancer specifically, retinoblastoma, does not discriminate. People of all races, from all countries, and all parts of the world uh, are affected by it. But at the same time, there is a lack, there is a huge gap in the healthcare industry in the U.S., um, in the insurance industry in the U.S. So I think um, it's just, it's, it's similar, but not similar at the same time of, uh, I've observed personally that there is a different level of treatment when it comes to um, what kind of income you have or don't have and what kind of insurance you have or don't have um, when it comes to just maintaining that care that you need, survivorship that's needed for us as adults now to continue to stay alive and stay healthy. So I think also um, I want to rewind a little bit and just mention that uh, September uh, is also suicide prevention month and it's also a very important subject because although i don't personally know any who have the same exact cancer that we have that have actually gone through with it but this, the mental health is a huge important uh topic to be talked about because mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt you i will say my mental health is probably as bad as it is because i had retinoblastoma um, because of the way I was brought up. Um, if you draw attention to it, like people did, it does make you as a person question who you are, why you're even on the planet, why you have to go through pain and agony. You know, I'm 26 years old and I still had to have another orbital implant surgery in January. The most painful experience you will feel, that's one of the most, apart from, you know, the removal, that is actually one of the most painful 
surgeries I think I've ever had to have and I've had a lot in my life but that was painful um and that damages you you know why me why do I have to go through this pain why do I have to be the cancer survivor why can't I just be normal you know so I think mental health with illnesses with anyone who has lost a limb lost an eye lost anything it, it is an important topic absolutely absolutely and uh, definitely make sure that you are not alone. Definitely make sure that you can find your tribe. I'm blessed to be able to say that I did find my tribe. I, I'm going to add you to my tribe. Hold you close. You know, <laughs> we found people uh, who can truly relate to us because it's different. Sure, you can be a part of a cancer survivor network. That, that's, that's great. But then, then you can also be a part of a retinoblastoma network. That's great. But now you got to break it down even more uh, by the unfortunate stereotypes of are you, is it a woman? Is it a woman who lived in the same state as you? Is it a woman who um, is the same age as you or at the same exact cancer? So it's like you got to, it's almost like a marriage. You got to find your, your one, find your one of few people that you can truly uh, confide in and, and talk to and relate to. So that's definitely very important as well. So I love the um I love the fact that there are a few cancer survivors, retinoblastoma cancer survivors in the comments. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And please continue to share, you know, leave comments, feel free to share your story because each one teaches one. We're not just talking about our story just to talk about our story. We're here to educate and also empower. I'm also drawing comparisons. I'm looking at you, not just, you know, with your story, but how you look as well. And I also want to mention that um, we all have different courses of treatments. Although it's the same cancer and it's the same thing, there is a difference. I mean, if you look at my face, I had radiotherapy and that totally stumped the growth of my left side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I grow my hair and I find that actually the right side is longer than the left. No matter if I go to the hairdressers today and they cut it evenly, in the next few days, one is longer than the other. And it's because I had radiotherapy. So my face symmetry doesn't actually match. And I think people forget that, that although it's the same cancer, there are different treatments depending on the stages it's gotten to. You know, some people have chemo. I never had chemo, but some people do. Um, and the reaction or the effect it takes on you is totally different. Yes, actually, that's a great point. Um, I had radiation um, when I was nine months old. So it was a very short span of, span of uh, the first two photographs being taken, going to the first doctor, then the second doctor, and then the nucleation, the removal of the eye. Um, so I feel like even though I, was, I wasn't even a year old, I feel like um, I do have PTSD from that. So at one point I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but it's so crazy that um, when people would tell me in depth of their medical, like, uh, surgeries or whatnot, I'll be like, I feel like I have PTSD. I'm mean, so, I, it worked out in the sense of I then had like one um, course in sci uh, psychology. And so mm -hmm. I was like, okay, now this I can do. Let me, you know, talk to people, get their story, help them to be more comfortable. So, yeah, I had um, radiation, but it's funny that you brought that up because most of the time I'm picking at apart my own, you know, features as well sometimes. And what I noticed though was because the eye that I did have surgery on, that's the side that where nothing works. So it's literally like half of my body, I feel like nothing works. So like that side of my uh, the, my hair is does not grow as fast as the side that I see in. 
the side that had the surgery has more acne than the side that I can see it. And and the same thing of my body parts of uneven, you know, one side is uneven, and even going down to the woman's body parts of my eggs don't fully work on that side. So yeah, I had radiation and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, um that's why there is such thing as secondary cancer. Um that's why it, it that's why we have to have regular checkups because even though uh, the tumor was removed from the seeing eye, it could spread to the other eye. I actually have glaucoma. You know, my eye pressure is actually high in my seeing eye. So, of course, we got to make sure that that stays under control, too. So, you know, it's just definitely uh, having uh, all kinds of treatment that can save the life, but there's always something to expect later on down the road. Um, Something I've, I've, I've got a lot of questions about, and it's around, you know, how quickly do you change your prosthesis and how often are you meant to change it in terms of getting a brand new one but also do you clean it daily do you clean it weekly what do you do because a lot of people don't actually know how to manage it and um, the reason I remember that point was there are countries that don't have facilities or hospitals actually catered um, specifically to rectinoblastoma or just the eye in general um so i think that's quite important and i know maybe there will be some people watching who have also had that question but might be too embarrassed to ask because it is a you know it's it's not the normal question you would ask um what do you think yeah I, i'm glad you actually said that because i was about to leave way for those who want to ask questions but you're right most people will just ask it in their mind and not ask us so we can answer it so I'll answer your question, then I'll also answer a question that also came up on the live broadcast. So for me, fortunately and unfortunately, I was taught how to clean my prosthesis by my doctor in the instance that, you know, I could not make it to an appointment um, or, or what have you. So I know how to clean it, um, which basically means I have a suction tool that takes the eye out. So I'm not actually touching it, not touching the eye, because of course, the other thing is if you do touch your eye, make sure your hands are triple clean. because you know, all those germs can go into your system and, and make things work. So I have a suction cleaning and um, I can alternate between having like a contact lens type of cleaner to clean it. Um, soak it in, you know, lukewarm water for, uh, it depends. I do it for an hour because I'm, you know, I'm just so used to wearing it. And then it's a breath of fresh air when it's out, but at the same time, I'm like not used to it when it's out. So um, I tend to just soak it in water for a few hours and then, and Put it in but also what i do there's actually a brand of soap that i trust because also i have sensitive skin too it's also called dr bronner's so i will actually dilute it with one dot of that um in water and just let it uh sit uh that's how i clean it but now also now that i'm older because i'm not resizing because i'm you know i'm pretty much fit my face is pretty much fit unless i gain a lot of weight or lose a lot more weight my metabolism is faster i don't expect that to happen so I don't really see my doctor. I see my doctors annually at this point, just to also make sure there's two doctors, the ophthalmologist who can make sure that the glaucoma is not worse or that nothing else is worse behind the eyes, and to the ophthalmologist to make sure that there's nothing uh, tearing the lining of the eye socket back behind. Mm -hmm. So that's um, what I would do. Now, what about you? Okay, you sound very professional with your cleaning. <laughs> uh, I don't do, I, but here's the thing. I was taught how to, but do I like to do it now? It is, because I, I had my uh, retinoblastoma in Nigeria. So Nigeria is a little bit haphazard, you know, whatever. But I'm not as serious. What I do these days is I do clean it daily. 
But what I do is when I'm in the shower, I take it out. I wash it with the shower water. <laughs> I wipe, you know, I clean, I clean my socket and I pop it back in. Don't uh, do that. that is not the professional way to do it. <laughs> different, but listen, one time I went to the doctor's office and they literally did not have a suction. Like most of the time, I'm so used to suction. I mean, I, I had mine in my bag mm-hmm. and he didn't even have a suction. So he literally was like, he popped it out and, and took a look at it. So, I mean, it, I've it, never it, heard of this suction tool, utensil. Man, I feel like I need to go to the bathroom to go yeah, get it. But it literally looks like. I'm going to send you a picture. It's like a, a, I don't know how to describe it, but you literally will squeeze out all the air. It's like a little, like a little pack. You squeeze out all the air and just make you place it uh, like a plunger for a toilet, but it's for your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is what I'm talking about. There's so many different ways. And my eye is healthy, Um, but, you know, I I, I might not be doing it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, every everybody's different. So yeah, here's another question that actually came out. What, knowing what we know now, um, what would we tell our parents to help us get through school? Now, for me, I had a very interesting education. I um had I went to a Montessori school, a charter school, wow. uh, a, a technical high school. So I've, education was very important, but it was also very important that I was surrounded by resources that could help me in case of, in case I do lose my vision, in case I do lose my hearing, because a part of the radiation, I actually wear hearing aids in both ears. Um, so my hearing, I got, you know, a small hearing loss. So um, I'm grateful that I had the resources that I needed, especially I had a speech therapist. I was not always confident with speaking. I did not always speak well either. So I had a speech therapist as well. Um, so I'm grateful to have all the resources that the American Disability Act, ADA.org, that they provide. It's like my mom did research and, and again, found that network of how to make sure that I have the best education possible. Make sure that I'm sitting in the front of the classroom because I'm also a lip reader. Um, and make sure that I can also have, I got to experiment with having, it's like my own personal radio where the teacher had a microphone on, but I could hear. Um, you know, I could hear. I had a box on my desk where I could hear everything the teacher's saying. But it, it was fun sometimes because the teachers would forget to turn it off. So when they're on their lunch break, we're listening to all the people. <laughs> but that's that's what helped me. You know, I appreciated that about um, you know my mom teaching me to advocate for myself and also advocating for me for my education. But what about you? Um, I would say my upbringing was very different. Um, my dad passed away when I was five, so my mom was left to our own devices basically but I've said it to her so many times I do feel like she was a helicopter mom and she made it very obvious that I I had something wrong with it like my mom was one of those people you'd be casually you know going somewhere and she would just like start checking your lymph nodes start seeing your breathing start seeing there's no tumors she was a very like um I guess helicopter mom is the best word I can use for her. And um, like you were not allowed to sleep in public because my eyes don't move that well, which means people would know that something was wrong. So not allowed to sleep in public. She always she made me wear glasses just to cover up. So no one noticed anything. And if I was a parent and I had a child like me, I would back off. I would do less because she I feel she contributed to me being so self-conscious because she wasn't doing it maliciously she wanted to protect me but in doing that it made me more aware that I was different 
And I speak to people who don't feel different, who feel there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, I lost my eye, but that's it. Um, but I have never had that privilege of feeling like that because I've always been made to feel that something was wrong. So I definitely advise parents. What your mum did is amazing, you know, giving you all the support. Um, but, you know, not every parent can be like that. And I definitely advise that do not hover over them. Let them grow. Treat them normal. Yes, there will be things that they may not be able to do or there will be things that they can't have. But don't stop treating them as any other individual. Don't be a helicopter parent. Don't be fussing all over them. Just let them be them and they will grow up to be independent, confident people. And I speak about this a lot on my channel because I want it to home in on the parents who are trying their best, but they're doing a bit too much because the child will grow up having issues like me. You don't want that. Exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned it. It, it is definitely from a different perspective, but it's also a very important perspective because um, yeah, I was kind of sort of the opposite of in the sense of my mom did uh, literally let me be. But at the same time, she did kind of protect me in a way, um, which I felt like I didn't really get uh, my true sense of freedom until between 18 and 21. As soon as I said, I'm leaving the state to go to school. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but before that, you know, they were it, it was a blessing in disguise as well, you know, because. Uh, sure, they, you know, try to as much to protect me from, um, you know, the the haters out there and, and the questions. But at the same time, um, I still had experience it on my own when I did my first uh, study abroad program, when I, again, moved away from school, when I, um, you know, had my own life. So it's definitely important to understand that you are the parent that came to you, but they are their own person. I think that's also very important. So. That's a, no, I was just saying that's a really good way to summarize that. You know, you are the parent, but, you know, they're a total different entity. Um, let them be. So we are coming up to the end of it. And I love to end my podcast with something fun, uh, a two-part two, two, two question. So you ready? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, the first question is, when this is all over, where do you want to travel to? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Greece. I love Greece. Um, so maybe I will get a chance. I know Greece is probably a little bit safer right now, but I'm just not traveling just to be safe. I'd probably go to Greece, actually. I've been thinking about it for a while. So yeah, Greece. Yes, I'm, I'm ready to go somewhere in the States, you know, at least drive, have a little road trip or something. So that's, that's to start with that first. Um, and then I've always wanted to, I think also, even though I love uh, going to African countries, um, until they all open up a little bit as well. I think also I will probably look forward to going to the states that are, they're a different country, but they were acquired by the U.S., so we don't need a passport to go there. So I might, you know, do something like that. Um, but of course, it's still, it's basically, you know, we're high risk as well. So I'm like, I would dream, I would stare my Pinterest boards, I would watch other people's YouTube videos, but until I know that I can take all, uh, all plan B, A, B, and C precautions. I, mean, yeah. I have yeah. been saying, I'm I'm one of those people. If I catch it, I'm in trouble. So, <laughs> so even though like uh, I'm blessed to have a, I feel like I do have a strong immune system. I I don't get sick like at all. But at the same time, it's still I still need to be you know uh, safe. It's also very important to make sure that you with uh, in a country that has 
resources for cancer. Like actually you mentioned we see hope, which is literally we in the letter C and hope for those who want to um, search it. We'll also put it in the show notes in the comments, uh, all the resources that we mentioned, if you want to check it out and educate yourself. But also um, they are based in Kenya too. So they have a Kenya, they, they're in the US, they're in London, they have uh, in Kenya as well. So also it's important of just going to places that have decent medical care. Because I've even, you know, thought about, you know, where could I just be part-time? You know, because I'm a water baby. I love beaches. So I'm like, where can I be part-time that's not so cold? Here's my other question I wanted to ask you. What is your legacy? What do you want your legacy to be? Oh, that's a hard question. I'm definitely one of those people that thinks they're going to change the world. I believe I'm alive to make a change. And I hope that one day I will be able to change someone you know, it might not be millions of people's lives, but as long as I can touch one person and tell them it's going to be okay and this is not the end, you know, cancer is not the end. You have the ability within you to fight. For me, that's good enough. But my ultimate goal is to open up a clinic, an eye clinic um, throughout Africa. So in different parts of Africa um most importantly Nigeria because that's where I grew up that's where I had the doctors that actually saved my life um I want to do that for people who don't have the cost because I remember as a child we would go looking for prosthesis and it's not like how you have it now where it's tailor-made to you. you you would just find a box of eyes literally and they would file it down to suit you and I will never forget there was a time we went. My dad had just passed away. My mom barely had any money. We went and we got one and it cut the inside of my eye because they had filed it so badly. And that is the extent of poverty in Africa. And that was lucky. We were the rich ones. We were going around. I mean, back then there was no such thing as tailor-made. You just go around and you find the best ones. But there are, and that, that was for us with money, there are people who can't even, who don't have that. And worst of all, there are people who can't even get the surgery to get rid of the cancer and they end up dying because they just don't have the funds um, to save their child's life. Um, so for me, that is my end goal. I'm not here to make money. I'm not here to be rich and famous. Whatever I make, I want to make sure that we are giving children a chance because I am a testament. You are a testament to the chance we have been given of life. And it's very sad and unfair that there are kids out there that are not getting that opportunity, that are not, sorry, just making me very emotional, that are not getting that opportunity to, to be themselves, to grow, um, to get past the age of two. It's, it's, it's very heartbreaking. And the long goal, I guess, long story short, is to be able to facilitate clinics all over Africa and possibly spread it out to other parts of the world where I can actually fly out surgeons from America, from UK to actually carry out the surgeries and hopefully have the funds to be able to, you know, pay for that because it will be a charity. Um, so long story short, that is my end goal. <laughs> that is the legacy I want to live. So here's actually a comment um, that may actually remind you that you are on the right path. Now, this person is in the country of the Gambia. Uh, last year, uh, he had a patient. I think he's a nurse. Um, with retinoblastoma, a five-year-old girl couldn't make it to the surgery, probably because of fun, probably because of, so you're on the right path, you're on the right path. And I think uh, we, this is, this is a great 
uh, connection that we have because one, I have a huge love for Africa. I've been to four, I've blessed to go to four countries in Africa and I can't wait to continue to go back for more. And um, my purpose really is also on the photographer side, like showing kids how to take a photograph, right? Document their own lives, maybe even save a life. You know, if someone is already taking a photograph and detect cancer in somebody's eye, they already have, um, you know, done a good deed. So there's actually a um, uh, a song that I love, and maybe you all can look it up. But there's a song called A Million Lives, and it's by an artist called Jake Miller. Um, and the part of a chorus that I just love so much, um, he actually grew up not far, he's the same age as me, and he actually grew up not far away from me in South Florida. And the, the, uh, the chorus goes, I haven't made a million, but I've touched a million lives. Right. So, I mean, now if the song was almost 10 years old now and but the lyrics are so relevant. So, yeah, I think um, we're on the right path. Both of us are on the right path. And I definitely applaud you for keeping going. And these are great reminders because it's not easy. It's not going to be. It's not meant to be easy. So thank you for being you. No, thank you. Honestly, it's, it's been a pleasure to meet you. It's it's been a pleasure to meet you, right? Because we we connected. It's been like a full circle. I realized it's been a full circle. We connected in in a Facebook group. Then yeah. somehow we added each other on Facebook. And then my mom was like, "Look at her YouTube." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm following you on YouTube." And I commented, and then we DM'd on Instagram. And now we're 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 here. Yeah, we're here. Um. So I hope you know everyone else out there will find a buddy, find a friend, um, who who's gone through the same thing. Because only we understand what we've gone through and only we can explain it to each other and really understand um so it's it's been a pleasure so i think this is a great way to um kind of merge into also where people can find you on your youtube on social media if you want to go ahead and just kind of stay, stay with those up yeah okay um so i have my channel where i share um, lifestyle, not just retinoblastoma, but other things as well. Um, I've actually decided to um, go in a new direction where I will be interviewing other retinoblastoma survivors, um, retinoblastoma pair of people, you know, parents of retinoblastomas, cousins, sisters, brothers, aunties, you name it, friend. Um, I just want everyone to get as much information and as much perspective as possible. So that is coming up on my channel. And my channel name is Abby Vision. It's literally Abby, A-B-I and Vision, all one word. Um, so stay tuned for all of that. And then you can also chat to me on Instagram. I know YouTube is not, you don't really have that privacy to speak in private. You have to leave comments. So if you do want to speak to me in private, um, my um, Instagram is Love Live Abby. Um, DM me. We can start a conversation there because that's essentially how we've all got to get introduced, you know, by speaking on social media. So I definitely, definitely encourage you if you have any questions, if you want to know more, if you want to be on my channel, and if you want to discuss how you're feeling, either as a parent or as a child or as a brother sister auntie uncle you name it please 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 contact me I, I would love to hear from you i love it yeah and i'll just go ahead and, and add a segue of continue to listen to the living legacy podcast it's current season in the fourth season and we focus on women of purpose and stories of resilience and we also have a, a few other uh separate series going on in correlation to the book which is called seeing life through a different lens 
Um, so if you understand the correlation between the title, it's kind of like an aha moment now, right? You understand that I'm a photographer and I have monocular vision, you know, I only see in one eye and how we manage to see life more positively. So we also have a few more YouTube series. So definitely continue to follow me everywhere on social media at Illuminous One. Um, both of our handles are also on this video and also um, will be in the show notes of the audio version. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. And I think I, I want to end it. What, if it, no one got anything else from the conversation, what is one thing you want people to know, learn, understand, take away from about writing a black film, about life? You ask difficult questions. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. One thing to take away. Um, I would definitely say do your research. Do your research. The, the, you have the World Wide Web at your fingertips. Like that's okay. different also. So do your research. I would also say trust your gut. If you feel like something's not right with your child, trust that gut and make sure um, you you look into it. And don't be a helicopter parent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you, Abby. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNayar.com. That's Z-A-A-K-I-R-A-H-N-A-Y-Y-A-R.com. Do you have any suggestions on a topic you want to be talked about? Send me an email or leave them in a review. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with your friends.